Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you tonight that you are the unmovable, unshakable force in our life. You're the one sure thing, the one stable thing, the one unchanging thing. And we thank you, Lord, tonight for your incredible mercy to each and every single one of us. We thank you, Lord, for your unbelievable grace and your loving kindness and your faithfulness in our life. We thank you, Lord, that you don't change, your purposes don't change, your character does not change, your feelings towards us do not change. Your covenant with us does not change. You rejoice over us to do us good, and it never changes your intent and your heart. We live in a world, Lord, that's changing all the time. Even as we share tonight, we speak tonight, circumstances in our world, politics change, relationships change, the value of things we own changes, you do not. And we just thank you, Lord, for being so sure, for being our rock and our health and our fortress. And we thank you, Lord, for this time of year that we head into Really, the most significant time in the history of man was when God arrived on this planet in his son, Jesus Christ, in Bethlehem. We just thank you, Lord, for your indescribable gift. Open our hearts, Lord, tonight to understand the purpose of God in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, I'd like to start a series entitled Driving Ambition. If someone were to ask you the question, what is the driving ambition of your life, what would you answer? Those who know you best, what would they say? I want you to think about that for a moment. I don't want you to think of what's supposedly the correct answer, but I want you to ask yourself, what is the driving ambition of my life? For those of you that may not understand the word ambition, let me just give you The simple definition. It means to eagerly, earnestly, and greatly be desirous of achieving something or acquiring something. An ambition is a little bit about you, what your life's about, what burns on the inside, what you really want, what you're really going after. I'll give you a few examples so that you can understand. Some people are ambitious for fame. And recognition. I'm just telling you a simple observation. Um, You can debate this. You can debate this. But I think, personally, that part, not the whole, this is not the whole story, okay? That part of the national obsession with selfies is a longing for recognition. It's the internal narcissistic desire of self. It's an extension of selfishness. I'm not saying it's ever wrong to take a selfie. I'm just saying that many people's lives revolve around a picture of them here, a picture of them there, a picture of them there, and then they broadcast it to the world on a function called Facebook. And, and we know, we know that most of us are not going to go to Hollywood and we're not going to be movie stars and we're not going to be a reality show like the Kardashians, but we have our own little small one. Now, 
I don't want anyone to feel bad if you go take a selfie tonight and you take it in front of the rock to let your friends know you were here. <laughs> you know, that, that's up to you. And I'm not saying that's the whole story. But I'm saying there are people who have sold their soul for fame and recognition. Maybe even in your job. Yeah, I just long for recognition. The number one reason people change jobs is the lack of appreciation. Translated in another way means I was not appreciated and valued enough by others, so I'm moving on. Some people have an ambition to relax and do nothing. I mean, it's their ambition. It's their ambition. I just don't want to do anything. I just want to chill. I just want to relax and fill my life with entertainment. Some people have an ambition to find a mate. Man, they're ambitious about it. It comes out sideways. It comes out in their conversation. It comes out in what they're about. They're just always looking for a mate. And it sort of defines them. Some people are ambitious for money. Some people are ambitious to party and have fun. Man, to be honest, you know, I, I, I sneak around on Facebook. I have a secret code. Mark Zuckerberg is a friend. Mark, darling, Mark Zuckerberg, we're buddies. And I have a secret passcode, you know. He funnels me all the research that he does secretly on your lives. I'm joking. But I do get around Facebook. I have access to a very special way. And sometimes, not taking a long time, I don't spend a lot, I just go from one to one. I just, you, you know, you click on a friend, you know, and then they have all these friends that show up in these little boxes. So I just randomly pick, and you just, so much is just fun. It is fun. It's fun. Party here, party there, a glass of booze here, party, 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 party. As if said, this is my life. It's just one big party. Again, I'm not saying just because you have a picture like that, you're a party person. I'm just saying that a number of people, young people, live for fun. Some people are ambitious to collect material things. They're ambitious. They're driven for it. And some people, some people are ambitious for pleasure. But ambition is extremely significant in your life. Ambition drives us to achieve. It drives us to strive. It drives us to keep going when other people fade. The last movie you probably ever heard the word ambitious used in, can anybody remember? No, it's not Twilight Zone. It was Gladiator. When Commodus, just before he kills his father, played by Richard Harris, says, I knew I had none of the qualities that you wanted, Father, but I had some ambition when it drives us to excel. And then he goes on his little spiel, then he kills his father. And we know what Commodus' ambition was. Highly destructive. Totally selfish. And yet, don't we, in in our own way, we see that reflected in many, not all, many Politicians, many power players around the world, they're ambitious for self. They're ruthlessly ambitious. There are only two types of ambition in the world. <clears throat> when we narrow it all down, there are two. 
There's selfish ambition, and that comes out in a lot of ways. Selfish for money, selfish for pleasure, self, self, self. We're driven for self and godly ambition. There's only two. And I'd like to talk with you tonight about what, what can really unlock the power of God in your life. And I'd like to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this evening. And I'm just going to focus on this particular passage. One moment. I've got to turn my page. 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm going to start with verse 6. The Apostle Paul is writing here and he says, So we are always confident even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. So we're confident. We have a confidence, a God-given confidence. But I know that if I'm in this body, I'm not yet with the Lord. I'm not at home with Christ. Christ is in me, but he means I'm not in my heavenly home. That is why we live by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. And Paul says this more than once. For any true believer, any person who really knows Jesus Christ, there is an internal longing put in us by the Holy Spirit to be gone from this carnal world. That's what Paul means. He says later on in Corinthians, I don't mean I don't want to have a body. I mean I long to be clothed with my new body, my pain-free body, my suffering-free body, my sinless body, and be with Christ in my new home. But as long as I still have this body, I'm on this earth. So, so now here's the key thing. Here's what we're going to talk about this evening. So if I still have my body, I make it my ambition to please the Lord always, whether I am here in this body or away from this body. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged and evaluated. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we've done in our bodies. It is because we know this solemn fear of the Lord that we work so hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we trying to pat ourselves on the back again? No. We are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart for God. I want to... Just comment on that for a moment. There are so many, you know, you go, to the, you go to the web, you Google, you go to the TV, you go to YouTube, and you got individuals, in a sense, bragging about their spectacular ministry. Uh, that's not what's important at all. What's important is a sincere heart for God. And do you know what a sincere heart for God means? That you have a driving ambition in your life To please God in everything. And I'll describe what that means in a moment. That your driving ambition, your earnest ambition is, Father, I want to please you. I want to live a life that pleases God. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we're in our right minds, it is for your benefit. 
whatever we do, it's because Christ's love compels us, which means overpowers us, has overtaken us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life, the old way we used to live, which was what? For me. The old life that we used to live was for yourself all the time. All of our desires, all of our emotional desires, all the things that we long for was always to satisfy self. To please ourselves. It was not to please God. But now, now that Christ is in us, since we believe Christ died for everyone, we believe we have all died to the old way we used to live. He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life will no longer live, no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. That's profound. This is one of the most profound principles in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's liberating. It awakens us to our true destiny. It awakens us to what God has for your life, and that's to live a life that pleases God. Let me just read three verses. The first one again is 2 Corinthians 5, 9 from the Amplified Bible. Therefore, whether we are at home, in heaven, or on earth away from him, we are constantly ambitious and strive earnestly to be pleasing to him. Ephesians 5.10, <clears throat> written again by the Apostle Paul, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases God. So notice that. God's working in you. He gives you the desire and he gives you the power to do what pleases him. What he does not do for you is act upon those desires. You must choose to act on those new desires and develop them and grow them. It's your destiny. And it's the only place that you'll find true and genuine fulfillment. When you stop living for self... And you live to please God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, but we encourage you to do so even more. Go after it even more. Now, <clears throat> before I get into this, some specifics. Let me make this comment. <clears throat> there is a, there's a, there's some Christians who believe that the only worthy ambition of a Christian is to reach the whole world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> That's the only worthy ambition. <clears throat> now, you all know, you've been here, some of you that have come here for a number of years, some of you have not, that we are about the gospel, that I believe in the gospel, we preach the gospel, we're trying to sow the gospel, we're trying to get the gospel out. But I want to step back and rise above that, that concept for just a moment and let you know that there's one beyond that that affects everything, including that one. And I'll walk you through this, what I mean. And that is the number one ambition of a Christian 
is to be to please God in everything. That I bring that attitude and I bring that desire into everything. So let me walk you through this, okay? We as Christians have a burning desire to honor God, to glorify God. Did you know the Lord Jesus? Let me give you an example from his life. When he was on this earth and he was doing his ministry, one time the disciples were gone. They went to get some food. And Jesus is sitting by a well and a Samaritan woman comes and uh, begins to get water. And Jesus asked her for a glass of water, for a drink. It was very unusual for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan, every bit as much as it would be for a Jew today to speak to a Palestinian. It would just be very unusual, but especially that Jesus was also talking to a woman. So anyway, they have this conversation, and he tells her about the living water and eternal life and the eternal water, and if she knew who he really was, she would ask from him, and he would give her water that would satisfy the thirst of her soul for forever. She said, sir, give me this water. In the meantime, the disciples come back, and it says this. The narrative says this. They were surprised that he was talking to a woman. And then they said to him, here, Jesus, here's some food. Eat. And then Jesus said, my food, my nourishment is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What drives me, if you ever noticed that when you're immersed in that which you know God has for you, and I've experienced this many times, hunger, it, it's not that it just disappears, it's that you're so satisfied, you're so strengthened and sustained by what you're doing in honoring God that often food becomes secondary. It doesn't mean you don't need it. And I'm not saying Jesus never ate, we know that he did. But he was capturing something. Some people call this term passion. When you're doing what you're passionate about, But the key question is, are you passionate about pleasing God? Are you passionate about pleasing God? Paul said he makes it his ambition to please the Lord. So I'm going to walk you through some things. I just want to show you how this works, all right? When Christ got a hold of my life as a young man, and it's now 39 years ago, There was just, excuse me, a a tremendous epiphany that occurred on that evening. And I realized that God was calling me to a different way of life. I had been living my life for me. And in particular, if I was really honest, I was living my life for carnal pleasure. I was involved in a moral relationship with a young woman, and frankly... Um, sex is what drove the relationship. God was not Lord of my sex life. I didn't live to please God in my morality. I didn't live to please God in anything. I lived to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And if you're honest, that's the problem. So often we're not. That's how we all work. And some still are. Christ invaded my life. And this passage in 2 Corinthians became very profound in my life. Lord, if you died for me, if you died for me, then you died that I would no longer live for me, but for you. And you made me new in Christ. And, And I'm just telling you, 
God did what he said in Philippians. He put this desire in me, and he gave me this power. And all of a sudden, it was like this. There was this new life force, which, of course, is what the Holy Spirit is, but he's God. He's not some nebulous life force, but it's like that. This profound life force inside of me, talking to me, urging me in a specific direction. Giving me this longing and this hunger that the day before I didn't have. And I made a decision that from that day on I would feed that. Doesn't mean I I didn't fall on my face sometimes. I did. Doesn't mean that I lived out everything I always wanted to live out. I didn't. But I kept feeding that hunger. So here's how I look at my life. I want to please the Lord in my marriage. We're just going to go over. I want to please the Lord in my marriage. Here's what that means. And my wife will understand this. She's here tonight. She knows what I mean when I say this. If you don't think she does, don't worry, she does. I do not love Kathy because she's so lovable and wonderful 24-7 every single day, every single moment. I do not love Kathy because I always feel like loving Kathy. I don't always respond to Kathy uh, based on how she responds to me because the overriding issue for Mark is I want to please God. Therefore, I know it pleases God for me to love her even when she doesn't deserve it, to forgive her when she doesn't deserve it, to treat her like Christ treated me because I'm pleasing God. Some of you, I know... And I've been there. I, I've been married 35 years. Okay, there's, there's not a lot of things that we haven't had to wrestle through or temptations or difficulties or arguments. And I know some of you are really struggling right now in your marital relationship. <clears throat> and here's kind of the thought process. I'd be all right if you'd get on the ball. I'd start responding better if you were different. You don't understand. That's not living to please God. It does not matter what your spouse decides to do from here on out. What will you do? Because marriage is a threesome. You, your spouse, and Jesus Christ. Will you live to please him? You see, that's the driving force. That's the driving force. And because I want to honor God, because I want to please God, I serve my wife with all of my heart. Because I want to please God, I've learned and continue to learn, even as I had today, to bridle my tongue, and when my tongue is not bridled, to repent for its unkind, harsh words. Not because, well, you provoked me. If you hadn't provoked me, I wouldn't have said it. No. I said what I said because I allowed self to take over and I didn't want to live in a God-honoring way at that moment because I was hurt and I don't think you deserved it and I don't think you deserved me being kind. So I treated you how I thought you deserved to be treated. It's wrong. That's sin. That's called sin. That's called doing what you want to do and not what the Father wants you to do. For how did our Lord respond to those who beat him and maligned him and tortured him? Remember when we went through Peter? Read First Peter yourself. And you know what Jesus said of himself? I do nothing to please myself, but only what the Father asks me to do. 
If we're to imitate the life of Christ, then we must imitate that attitude. I want to please the Lord in my fathering. As I was raising my four children, this was a driving ambition for me. A driving ambition to love their mom. A driving ambition to love them, to guide them, to grow them, to nurture them, to build them. Listen, I've told you this before, and I sincerely mean this. I'm not making this up. If I would have just put my fathering on autopilot, on mark pilot, basically, basically our home life would have just been filled with a lot of rage. A lot of anger, a lot of impatience, a lot of me, me, me. A lot of, yeah, like, get out of my way. We're not honest sometimes. We're not really honest about the power of the flesh and what we're really like. But what made me, what made me walk away from that dominant influence of my carnal nature was I want to please God. You love me, Jesus. You saved me, Jesus. I want to give my life back to you as an act of worship. Therefore, I'm going to excel as a father. I'm going to excel as a husband. I am not going to quit. I'm going to get better and better and better, and I'm going to go after God because I want to please God. I wanted to please God as a husband. Boy, that involves a whole lot of things. My goodness, did the Lord take me to task after I got married. I just, wow, I guess I'm, you know, I'm stupid. I just thought this will be a piece of cake. <laughs> wow, was I wrong. Let me tell you, young person, young person who's not married yet, just, just, just be patient. Because you do not understand the crucible that you are walking into. You want your motives refined? You get married. You want to find out how pathetic and ugly your flesh really is? Get married and try to live for God and find out just how selfish and pathetic your flesh really is. And you find out, I thought I was really loving. Um, Listen, listen, I'll tell you a little secret. It's real, it's, it's not real easy. It's much easier to turn your physical cheek if someone strikes it, as Jesus commanded, and let them hit the other one, than to turn your emotional cheek. It's hard. (laughs) When Jesus said, finally, brothers, let all be harmonious, brotherly, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, never in my life have my buttons been pushed than in marriage. And you're like, yeah. And, you're, and sometimes I do that and a lot more. And I've had to take Mark behind the woodshed. Have a talk with him. Serious talks. This is part of why I'm so desperate to pray. This is why I'm so desperate for the word of God. Without Christ, each in our own way, we are devouring parasitic monsters without Christ. Each of us. In our own way, through our own unique personality and temperament. And our own carnality. And with Christ, we have the ability to be like the divine. Because we've been born again in Jesus Christ. But we must feed that new baby. And we must nurture him and grow him or her, whichever you happen to be. 
I wanted to please the Lord as a worker and at my job. I wanted to please the Lord. We're going to talk about that next week especially, and I'll give you the intro of that at the end. I wanted to please the Lord in my thought life. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Wow, is when I was not when I wasn't following the Lord. Oh my goodness, my thought life—it was just a gutter, man. It was a gutter, and part of it, you young men know this, was uh, what we would call a chemically induced thought life by the chemical called testosterone. Man, did I have to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and crush it and crush it and crush it. Kill it! Because I wanted to please God. I'm still a work in progress because I'm a human being. But I'll tell you, I thank God that I'm not the man I was when I was 19 or 24. And I just, and this is again, why do we, why do we feed on the word of God? Wherewithal, so, how many, I'm not going to ask, but I, let me gently remind you. Three weeks ago, the last time I spoke, I asked you all to read Psalm 119. I have a feeling that maybe 10 or fewer people here tonight did. I would like to ask you to read it again tomorrow. Psalm 119. Wherewithal, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you are not, listen. If you are not hiding the word of God, devouring the word of God, eating the word of God, you will live a life of sin. It's the word of God that empowers us to go in a different direction, learn to take our thoughts captive, to learn to let God's word guide our mind, not only our body, but our thinking. And I'd like to ask you this question. As you read Psalm 119, I hope hope that you'll read it tomorrow. I'd like you to ask this question, honestly, this question. As you read that psalm, it's unlike any psalm in the Bible. It's it's a really unbelievable psalm. The longest psalm in the Bible. Ask yourself this question. Does this psalm describe me? Is this psalm, could this psalm be an autobiographical sketch of my life, my heart, my desires? Read it, and you'll understand why I'm asking that question. Because if the answer is no, and chances are for many of you, it's going to be no. needs to change tomorrow. You need to decide as you read that psalm. As a young man, I'll tell you a little secret. This is another secret. I didn't just want to read the Bible. I wanted to live the Bible. I didn't just want to read Psalm 119. I just, oh, that's cool. I want to live Psalm 119. When the psalmist says, your word is more valuable to me than thousands of silver and gold pieces, that's true for me. This book is more valuable to me than lots of money or lots of ways you could go out and get money in unrighteous ways. His word is more valuable to me. Read the psalm. It is a profound psalm to help you look deep inside yourself and ask yourself, God, this isn't me. It's going to be me, because that's who you were destined to be. You were destined to be, autobiographically, the person and the heart that you see in Psalm 119. I asked myself, Lord, I want to honor you in my moral life, in my sex life. 
I could go on about that, but it's very important for you to evaluate that. Lord, I want to please you in how I use my money. I want to please God in how I use my money. I think very carefully about how I use my money. I have over and over for many years. The majority of my money is used for others, and that's really true. And providing for those that I'm responsible to provide for. I use very little money on myself, and that's the truth. And what I do use, I try to use in a very frugal and well-managed way. Because God has made me a steward of that money. But I ask myself, Lord, am I pleasing you in the use of my money? And I step back and I think about, Lord, am I pleasing you in this purchase? Would this be a wise purchase or would this be a wiser one? The Bible is full of insights about how to please God with your money. I want to please the Lord in the stewardship of my body and my health. The Bible speaks to us about that. And we need to give that thought. I have given it thought, and I will say, Lord, I want to please you as a steward of the body that you gave me. I want to please the Lord in my choices. I want to please the Lord in my life habits. I want to please the Lord in how I treat other people. Have you ever thought of that one? So much of the Bible talks to us about relationships. It talks to us about people. do you think to yourself when you get out of bed, Lord, today, my wife, my roommate, my children, I want to treat them in a way that pleases you. I want to, well, they'll just go on, okay? Lord, I want to please you in how I use my time. I want to please you, Lord, with my attitudes. Attitude, man. I have a whole series on attitude, winning attitudes. You ought to go to Strong Disciple and hear it because you cannot begin to grasp the importance of attitude. The attitude you have towards life, the attitude you have towards God, the attitude you have towards the goodness, and as Ryan spoke to us last week, on thankfulness. If you've not developed an attitude of gratitude, you're living an unbiblical life. You're not pleasing God. And God wants us to learn to be thankful people. I want to please the Lord in every email I write. I consciously think about that. I write so many emails every day. And many of them are fairly lengthy, trying to help the person that's on the other end. And before I send any email, even short ones, I know I don't spell very good. You know that. Grant me grace. I'm sorry. I reread every single one of them. And when I reread them, I ask myself now, if I was that person receiving it, how is this, how does this feel? I'm reading it as the recipient. How does it feel? Does it make sense? Can they understand it? And I'll often follow up with you and ask, did that make sense? Are you okay? I want to please the Lord in how I write. I want to please the Lord in how I use my words. This has been such a great challenge and a pursuit for me. Just today, words came out of my mouth towards Kathy that I had to apologize for. When I was young, I didn't even recognize I needed to apologize. But I realized that did not need to be said the way I said it. It did not need to come out the way I said it. And I I, I wrote an email uh, and apologized 
for it. I want to please the Lord in my words. I want to please the Lord in my spiritual habits. I want to please the Lord in my service to God. I want to please the Lord in my church involvement. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, <clears throat> for so many people, church is just like, I just go once a week. I, really? The church, church is our life. Church is a way of life. <clears throat> Being with the people of God and involved in a local church, am I pleasing God in my involvement? Do you realize, some of you may not realize this, but you know, maybe you're part of a small group or, or a house church even on a Friday, but when you consistently miss, it's discouraging for other people. You actually, it's discouraging. Of course, we get sick and emergencies happen, but not, not to the tune of, well, I attend once a month. That's, that's how I do. That, that, that's discouraging for others. <clears throat> the early Christians were devoted to one another, and in fact, they met almost every day and took meals together. Now, that, that they lived in a different reality. They, they didn't travel. They didn't live all over town. And different things we do, but we, we've got to evaluate, am I pleasing the Lord? I want to please the Lord in my good deeds. I want to please the Lord in the use of my gifts. I want to please the Lord as a light and witness for him to this lost world. I want to please the Lord in what I value as important. I want to please the Lord by living by the priorities he says are important in his word. Do you even know what they are? I want to close with a quick story. <clears throat> About two or three years ago, <clears throat> so one night I was doing a series on Heroes of Faith. I was doing on Daniel. <clears throat> there was a young woman in the auditorium that night. <clears throat> I didn't know this story until she wrote it to me later. You know what her great ambition was? Her great ambition, she was pursuing it with every ounce of strength in her body. That was to be an NFL cheerleader. She wanted it since she was a little girl. She dreamed about it, thought about it, ate it, slept it, drank it. Her whole life revolved around it. All her friends were involved in it. <clears throat> and she just had trials with an NFL team when she came to this service. I was talking about Daniel. I was talking about Daniel's choice to not eat at the king's table and drink the king's wine, but to honor God. And that all of us are going to have a Daniel moment. What is yours? And she said, Mar, I thought you were talking like no one else, like it was to me. <clears throat> and I went home and I began to evaluate and ask myself, in light of God's word, do I really think it's a good idea to dress the way NFL cheerleaders do in front of all these people on TV? <laughs> what am I really going to get noticed for anyway? This is, God really was working in her life. She walked away from it. She walked away from those friends. She's been following Christ. God has done amazing things in her life. And I'm so proud of her because she decided, I want to live a life that pleases God. Next week, <clears throat> next week, I'm going to spend uh, the evening talking about this. The majority of our lives, all of us, in our time, is spent at some kind of job. 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're working. And the question is, how do I honor and please God and glorify God when most of my life is spent on a job? Is it possible or is it impossible? Does God want us all to quit our jobs and go be missionaries? This is a huge question, and a lot of Christians wonder the answer. And next week we're going to talk about it. Please come back, because I believe it will be very significant in your life. I think you'll, you'll be very encouraged by what we go over. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus. You set the example. You lived your life to do the Father's will. You lived your life to please God. Put that heart in us, Lord. 
put that desire in us, fan it into flame, help us, Lord, to fan each other's flame, and help us to live in such a way to make it our driving ambition to please God in every aspect of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.